I don't know, guys. We've only been in John for 18, 19 months now. We're all the way up to chapter 12. So we're going along really fast, right? <clears throat> no, we're not. Going verse by verse, passage by passage, idea by idea. Last week, we took a little bit of excursion off to the side because a question had come up about the different things in the Word of God that are referred to as the Gospel that are not all the same. Uh, there's seven true Gospels that are to be spoken by humans, uh, five of which are identical. They're the Gospel of Christ that we speak. It's just five different names for the same Gospel. One is the Kingdom Gospel that John and Jesus preached up until the time, well, in John's case, up until the time he was executed. In Jesus' case, up until the time the nation of Israel rejected the gospel of the kingdom, he quit preaching the gospel of the kingdom and headed for the cross. And the last one being the gospel of peace, which is not so much to be preached, but to be relied upon. And it's the one that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, where he says that our feet are to be shod with the gospel of peace, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The good news that we have peace with God, that we have permanently joined with him who have been made his born-again children, his real children, uh, that he no longer will ever see us as an enemy. When he talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. <clears throat> okay? A lot of us have trouble with the idea that they're ever an enemy of God. I was never an enemy of God. Well, you may never felt that you were or thought you were, but the fact is... We started off that way, and until God turned us around, yeah, we were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. I was more active as an enemy of God than most of you were probably because I was an atheist until I was 18. So, yes, I was an enemy of God. And when God broke down my resistance and when God brought me to a point of salvation where I placed my trust in his shed blood at the cross, then I became a child of God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm no longer a child of darkness. I'm a child of light. And today we're going to talk about this thing of light and darkness and light and blindness. <clears throat> In John chapter 12, verses 35 through 46, <clears throat> get the Bible up where I can read it. My eyes are getting older. <clears throat> John chapter 12, now you remember in chapter 12, verse 32, he says, And I and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And this said he, verse 33, signifying by what death he should die. And the people answered him in verse 34, We heard out of the law that Christ abideth or shall live forever. And how saith thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, this is the text we're going to be working with today. Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, but dark, uh, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spoke Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, saying, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah also said, verse 40, He has blinded their, eyes, blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they could not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. 
these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses uh, 8 and 9. <clears throat> uh, verses 1 through 8 is where he saw the Lord high and lifted up his throne. Uh, his train of his glory filled the temple. The seraphims were shouting out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's another place where the angelic host is crying out the holiness of God. Uh, but in that passage, at the end of it, he says, but who is going to believe our report? And he says, well, not many, actually. He says, you, you go ahead and preach. And he says that, that God had blinded their eyes and closed their ears so they wouldn't hear and they wouldn't turn and wouldn't repent, <clears throat> hardened their heart. But Jesus cried and said, He that, he, that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him who sent me. And he that, see, that seeth me, seeth him who sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness, should not abide in darkness. So <clears throat> we want to talk about this idea of light and blindness. There's, there's a spiritual and judicial blindness that can come on people. And we want to see what causes that. What causes spiritual blindness? <clears throat> so in John chapter 12, verses 35 through 46, Jesus talked about this spiritual blindness. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask for your mercy as we approach your word, that you open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, and help us to understand your word and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we need to address several issues here. The first is the concept of spiritual and judicial blindness. In the scripture, we've repeatedly seen that if we disregard God's light, we can become blind as his light. We become <clears throat> blind in a spiritual sense, blind judicially, blind spiritually. And that blindness will last until we repent of our unbelief. Now, the word repent just means change your mind. The, the, in the New Testament, the Greek word metanoia is the word that's consistently translate, translated repent. Meta means change, and noia is your mind. We talk about metamorphosis when a tadpole turns into a frog or a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Well, metanoia means you change your mind rather than change your body, morphe's body. So change your mind regarding who Jesus is. Change your mind regarding the truth of God's word. Change your mind regarding your own sin. That's what we call repentance. <clears throat> and until a person repents of their unbelief, and this is for believers and unbelievers, by the way, until we repent of our sin of unbelief, then that blindness remains. And Isaiah predicted this in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. John quoted that passage here in John 12. Paul confirms it in Romans 11:25. Now remember in Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11, he was answering the collective question of what about the Jews? What happened? These are the people of God. Is God forgetting about them? Does he not care about them? Did he break his promise? Did they somehow get bumped out of the boat? No to all of that. Uh, but in the middle of chapter 11, he said <clears throat> that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in that during this period of time, the Jews as a nation have closed their eyes to the gospel. Uh, Richard, the pastor that almost all of you knew here up until a couple of years ago when he passed away, uh, told me how he shared with an elderly Jewish guy one time, and, and he quoted Isaiah 53. 
but that by his stripes we're healed and that he was wounded for our transgressions and so forth. And he says, where does that come from? And the Jewish guy said, well, obviously it's from the New Testament. I don't know exactly where. And he says, no, it's not. I'm quoting from your Bible. I'm quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. See, they've closed their eyes to that. And they no longer see it. They no longer hear it. <clears throat> Blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So when we were studying John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, 18, 19 months ago, we saw that in him, in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness was... Uh, King James says darkness comprehended it not, the word there can mean either understand or overcome. Uh, in a lot of the newer translations, it says the darkness was not able to extinguish the light. Well, that's true. And some of them say the darkness doesn't understand light. Well, that's true, too, because the, the spiritually dark soul, the unbelieving heart, does not understand God's word. On the other hand, the darkness of the world is completely unable to extinguish the light of God's word. So both of those things are true. <clears throat> the unbelieving heart cannot understand God's light and darkness cannot extinguish it. So in John chapter 1, verse 14, and we drop down from, you know, we start in John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, to believers, it's real obvious who he's talking about already. And it goes on from there. When it gets down to verse 14, it says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By that time, we know for sure. This is talking about Jesus. He is the word. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, it talks about Jesus as he's returning, having a banner on his thigh that says that he is the word of God. We don't want to take that lightly. This is who Jesus is. He's the word. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus introduced himself as the light of the world. And we've already seen from John 1, verses 4 and 5, that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and so forth. But in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he that cometh unto me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. All right? There's another connection between the word and light and life. We need to think about these things. But in John chapter 3, verse 19, he says, This is the judgment, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So when he said that, was he referring to himself coming into the world? I mean, I could say that the light was there from the very beginning. He was the, the light in the, in the Garden of Eden. He was the light before the sun and the moon and stars were existing. In John chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter one, uh, four days before, three days before the sun and moon and stars were created, he was the light that shined and filled the whole universe. He restricted his light to the, the physical light portion to the heavenly luminaries that he created on day four or three. So what about light and the word? <clears throat> we can see that since the light and the word are so closely tied together all the way through scripture from Genesis to, to Revelation, that we need to keep those things tied together in our own minds. When we consider light in the Bible, when we talk 
about that God shines light. Are we talking about physical light? Are we talking about moral, spiritual light? Are we talking about the light that is Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world? We need to meditate on that, think on those things. <clears throat> when we see references to the Word of God in the Scripture, we need to consider, is that reference directly or indirectly pertaining to Jesus, the Word of God? Or is it talking about some specific Scripture? Because sometimes it is. But still, we maintain the confidence that Jesus is the Word who is with God and who was God in John chapter 1, verse 1. This is fairly deep stuff. It's not something to be taken lightly, and, and no pun intended there. We're talking about light. Revelation 19.13, we already mentioned, it says that one of those titles that's applied to Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and all these other titles that's applied to him correctly, but one of them is the Word of God. <clears throat> we don't want to take that lightly. If Jesus truly is the living Word of God, if he truly is the light of the world, and he truly is the light that's come into the world and has been rejected by the world, then we want to make sure we're not among those that are ignoring his word and neglecting his written word. See? Because when we neg neglect his written word, ultimately we're neglecting him as well. We're turning our backs on him and saying, yeah, 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 I'll talk to you later. i got, I got other things to do. Hey, I've been guilty of that lots of times. <clears throat> Psalm 119, excuse me, Psalm 105, verse 8 says that God has remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. A thousand generations, that's a lot of time. I mean, even if people were procreating at a rate of every 20 years, that's 20,000 years. We haven't had that long. Okay? So God's word is forever. In fact, Psalm 119, verse 89 specifically says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Okay? Psalm 119, verse 105, a lot of us have memorized, says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's that word and light again. <clears throat> so why am I bringing up all these passages, comparing the word to the light, connecting Jesus to the word and to the light? Well, I want you to give some thought to that. I want you to spend some time thinking about how to apply them in your life because these three things are hooked together permanently. And what does Jesus say about that? He says, walk while you have the light. <clears throat> now, the Jews in Jerusalem were continually challenging Jesus. They questioned his integrity. They questioned his character. They questioned the truth of nearly everything he said. They argued and argued and argued. John chapter 12, verse 34, which we read early, they said, they had just said, we have heard out of the law that the Christ, that is the Messiah, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one, abideth forever. How do you say, how is it that you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? <clears throat> so they clearly understood that his comment about being lifted up had to do with his death, but they were so busy arguing every point Jesus made, they're failing to understand the overall message. They were so busy arguing about the character of his light that they failed to simply receive the light and walk by it. <clears throat> now, a lot of you are familiar with all the findings of physics over the last hundred years. There's an argument for a long time whether light was a wave, which it is, or whether it was a particle, which it is. 
but they didn't see it was possible for it to be both. And so there's this fierce argument amongst scientists whether a wave is a particle, which they named a photon, or a wave. Well, it's both, sorry. It does have mass. Those little tiny particles have incredibly small mass, but they have mass. And it behaves as a wave, and we see those different wavelengths as color, the ones that are visible. Uh, so if you're busy arguing about the character of light, and whether it's a wave or whether it's a particle, and which wavelengths are visible and which ones aren't, and so forth, does that mean that in the meanwhile you don't actually walk in the light that you're having? Well, no, those scientists all walked around and enjoyed the light and looked at the flowers and enjoyed the colors. But as humans, they were doing just the arguing. They are failing to use the light as something in their lives. They were not walking by the light that Jesus was giving, the light that he was, the light that he is. <clears throat> they failed to simply receive that light and walk in it. So Jesus admonished them, the Jews in Jerusalem, these are unbelievers, to walk while you have the light. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Peter's admonishing us as New Testament believers. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, pay attention, shine it on where you're walking, whereunto you do well that you take heed until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So take heed to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. All of us have had experiences where we had to carry a flashlight someplace or light a candle or something to see our way in a dark place. Last night, Anne dropped her keys on the way in from the car, took a flashlight, went back out, and found them. Okay, we know what that's about. You shine the light, and you walk where the light shines. Is that starting to make sense? Shine the light of God's word and walk where his light shines? That's what it's about. <clears throat> he says, you do well to take heed unto, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day's dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Until the Lord returns, that's our light. It's the written word. <clears throat> so what does that mean to us as believers? Well, all of us have received the whole counsel of God's word. We have the Bible. And we're learning to rightly divide the word of truth so that we understand which portions of it are directly to us as New Testament believers and which portions were directly to somebody else but has application for us. Okay, there's some that were to an individual. Some passages were to an individual, and I can see the application in my life, but it's not to me. You know, there's things that were specifically to a king who made a mistake and God called him on it or something. There are things that were specifically to the Jews that were not to the Gentiles, not to anyone else but the Jews, and other passages like that. But all of it is for us. All the Bible is for us. Not all of it is to us. So we learn to rightly divide the word of truth so we understand, okay, this part is one of the, gen one of the uh, epistles to the Gentile churches. We apply it to us. It's all, it's, this is us he's talking to. <clears throat> and we also know that it's all for us. So whenever we fail to respond to God's word, he can rightly hold us accountable to what we do know and are not doing. Because he knows. He knows our hearts. He knows what we do know. He knows what we understand. He knows what we're not doing. And Jesus said those who knew to do right and chose not to do it would be judged more strictly than those who knew, who didn't know to do right and ignorantly failed to do God's will. And that's true of both believers and unbelievers. 
The truth is we really have no excuse. We disobey what we know God says to do because we choose to go our own way. It's that simple. He, you know, we, whatever excuses we make for not reading God's word, for not hearing God's word, for not memorizing, for not studying, for not obeying, for not speaking in his name, there's still just excuses that we make, and he knows our hearts, and it still comes down to a choice that we make. It may not be a conscious choice. People say, well, I didn't choose that. It just happened. Well, yeah, but at some point you did make a choice, even if you made it so instinctively that you failed to see it as a choice. If I get angry, I, mean, I chose to allow something to anger me. I, don't, I can't use the excuse, well, they did this. Nope. No, I chose to get angry. I chose to walk away from what God said to do. We say, well, I don't feel like studying. Well, what about feelings? <clears throat> Some people say they don't like to read, okay? They have audible books. They, I, I think that's what they call them, audio books, where, where you can listen to it. I had a friend I told you about at work that uh, he had the only job in the plant where he could put on earbuds and listen to tapes because he was in a place where he couldn't be run over by a forklift or hit by a crane or something like that. So he, when he, as soon as he was born again, he went and bought a complete copy of the Bible on tape. It was 84 tapes, and he listened to them eight hours a day, five days a week at least. I mean, all day at work. Every day he was listening to God's word. He went through the whole Bible every two weeks. Every two weeks. That's going to have an effect on your life, even if all you're doing is hearing it through your, through your ears. But he started studying too and started sharing it with other people, and he ended up being an evangelist. He's dead now, but you know he spent his life faithfully telling people about Jesus. <clears throat> so what about feelings? I say I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like going to Bible study. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like working on memorization. Okay, And we think that's an adequate cause for straying from the shepherd because that's exactly what you're doing. When he says, let's go. Let's, let's go out and work in the vineyard. And you say, nah, I don't, I don't feel like it. Well, he's going. You're staying. You're straying from the shepherd by saying, I don't feel like doing what you want me to do. Amos 3.3 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer being no. If I disagree with God, then I can't walk with him. He's going to keep on moving. I'm straying at that point. <clears throat> See, it's not a good basis for making decisions. Feelings are very seldom an accurate reflection of reality. They're never a good way to make decisions. But we make decisions that way all the time. In fact, we make songs glorifying that kind of decision-making. There's a song, I don't know the words, but the title is, How Can Something So Wrong Feel So Right? Oh. There's another one, and I, I have heard this one on the radio. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Oh. So both of those songs were glorifying adultery on the basis of feelings. Interesting, huh? Sometimes we take it even further and we declare something to be right or wrong based entirely on our feelings, contrary to God's word. <clears throat> there was a woman I knew, a believer, who once told me she felt it would be morally wrong for her to share the gospel with somebody else with the express hope of leading them to Christ. I, I questioned her on it. I mean, I was almost speechless. I'm stammering because she's telling me that it would be morally wrong to do exactly what God said to do. 
anything I said to her didn't make any difference. Her only reason was her feelings, and the things I said couldn't swear. I tried to comprehend how a believer could decide that direct obedience to a command of Jesus could be morally wrong. And all she knew is that's the way it felt to her. And so she, you know, the result of making decisions that way results in an adamant opposition to God's word. And that's where she was, and that's where she stayed, as far as I know. And she never changed her mind. <clears throat> so what about this thing of following your heart? People say, oh, follow your heart. Your heart will never lead you wrong. No, that's exactly the opposite of what God says. Jeremiah 17, 9, memorize it if you haven't already. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if I follow my heart like the world says, then I will not be following God. I will be led wrong because it is feelings. It's how do I feel about things. <clears throat> now, if I'm some in submission to God's word and his will, then possibly the heart I'm listening to, the feelings I'm listening to are confirming God's word. But that's the only circumstances under which my thoughts, my heart, my feelings are uh, dependable, I guess is the word I want. <clears throat> Reliable. Under any circumstances, we need to be aware of the single most likely source of misdirection is our own heart. Our old sin nature is still there. Our feelings. Now, I'm sorry if that offends anyone. I know it's an unpopular thing to teach, but I can't ignore what God says about that. Simply the truth. That's what he says. So what happens? Here's the question. What happens when we ignore the light of God's word? And throughout the scriptures, we see that disregarding God's light eventually results in what we call judicial blindness. We're not going to respond to his light anymore, not even to reject it. We simply don't see it. It's no longer there for us. When people try to confront us with something, it, we just dismiss it as, well, that's just their opinion. It doesn't matter. It no longer matters to us that God's word says this. We blank that out. That's not an issue to us anymore. <clears throat> if they persist, we may defend our actions or attitudes by accusing them of judging us. And we're forgetting that God is sovereign. He's the king. He's the master. And he sends one brother to admonish another brother, to correct another brother. So if, it, if the message another believer brings to me is, is attempting to share with me is taken straight from God's word and is being delivered to me humbly and gently and in the correct context, that is what it says, then I need to recognize right off the bat, this is God talking to me through them. And I don't take that lightly. It's happened lots of times to me. I need to take that intervention to mean that God is speaking to me through them. <clears throat> it's not a light thing. I've had it happen many times. I knew it was happening at the moment it was happening. I knew this is God talking to me. And sometimes it was a, a nice something, a good something. The guy that told me to go propose to Ann, I knew that God was talking to me. I was 300 miles away and up in the woods. And I knew immediately who, he didn't know her. What he was telling me is that I needed a wife that, that God could only meet the burdens helped me carry the burdens I was carrying as a depressed individual through somebody who was completely committed to me. And, and I said, what am I going to do? Go down to the local bride market and buy one? And he says, no, Chad, I know there's nothing you can do right now, but I'm just trying to tell you that if God brings the right person into your life, that you not reject her on the basis of this principle that you've set up for yourself of going to the mission field single. 
And I stopped and looked at him and I said, I think I know who it is. And I went back down to my little hut that I'd built and I wrote Ann a letter. Okay. I knew God was speaking to me. I confessed that they were correct and that I was wrong. And I thanked him for correcting me. <clears throat> Have I always responded that way? No. Been lots of times I rebelled and hardened my heart initially, and then God put increasing pressure on me until I repented. <clears throat> so what happens when an unbeliever rejects God's word, ignores the light of God's word? Now, Jesus was speaking primarily to unbelievers in this passage in John chapter 12. They had a wonderful opportunity to hear God's word directly from the source. Jesus is the word. <clears throat> if they ignored it, there would come a time when he would be gone and their source of light would at least be less clear. It would be obscured by the darkness of the world. And that's what he warned them. He says, walk in the light while you have the light. <clears throat> he said the darkness was coming. And he warned that those who walk in darkness don't know what they're getting into. They don't know where they're going. They can't see where they're going. They become blind to the truth of the gospel. Now, is it still possible that God can break through that blindness and bring them to repentance? Yeah, it is. Otherwise, I wouldn't have ever been saved because I rejected it for years. But God did manage to break through that. He did bring me to repentance. John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, Jesus said <clears throat> that though his purpose in coming into the world was to offer salvation to the world, the world does not always want what he has to offer. John chapter 3, this is right after our favorite verse everybody likes to quote, John 3, 16. <clears throat> verse 17 says, For God sent his Son, sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He that believes on him is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Proverbs 13.13 13 says, Whoever despises the word shall be destroyed. Ultimately, if an unbeliever continues to despise the word, they will be destroyed. They'll spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. That's warned all the way through scripture. Okay. But it goes on to say, but he that fears the commandment shall be rewarded. Now that's for a believer. Salvation is not a reward. It's a gift. When, when the thief on the cross turned to Jesus and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me, he was not rewarded with salvation the gift of eternal life was given to him. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's a gift. Reward has to do with obedience as a believer. <clears throat> so although an unbeliever is already lost, Jesus said they're condemned already because they don't believe. They don't become more lost by ignoring the gospel. They do run the risk of becoming immune to, to grace immune to the gospel, inoculated against the truth. They've heard it, they've rejected it, and they're immune to it now. Yeah, 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 I've heard that a thousand times. Okay? They become immune to grace because they've become blind to the light of God's word. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says what happened there. It says, in whom the God of this world, and he was referring to Satan, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They've continually rejected it to the point that it no longer shines for them. They no longer see that light when it has shined. <coughs> so what did Jesus say was the cure for that blindness? Well, in John chapter 12, verse 36, what we just read, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. That's how people are born again. They place their trust in Jesus as the light of the world, as their permanent eternal salvation sacrifice that his blood was shed for their sins per, per, personally i asked people did jesus die for your sins and they said well he died for the sins of the whole world i said yeah but i'm asking you personally did he die for your sins and they start getting nervous and they say well he died for the sins of the whole world right then i know it's never become personal for them they've never recognized that i'm a sinner jesus died for me my sins or what put him on the cross Okay. that's the point at which a, trans a transaction is made between them and, and God. And for us as believers, that faith includes the obedience of faith, that we, we start walking in his light, we start doing what he asks us to do. And yes, there is reward for that. For an unbeliever, when they come to that point of decision, salvation is not a reward, it's a gift. But from the moment they were born again, from the moment they placed their trust in Jesus as their Savior, they're a new creation, and now obedience does reward, result in reward for them. So the, the promise is the same to all of us. <clears throat> that initial step of faith brought us into the family of God. Continuing walking by faith brings reward, and that's for all of us. But we're walking in the light that we have. For an unbeliever, they've changed their mind regarding Jesus. I knew a kid when I worked at Gunderson, uh, who claimed that Jesus never existed. I said, you know, Jesus is one of the best documented persons in history. There's more document regarding the reality of Jesus than there is of Julius Caesar. Oh. There, there's more clear documentation as to who Jesus is than there is to the author of Ulysses. You know, the, who's Homer? Uh, I don't know, he's just some Greek guy. Yeah, but boy, I mean, people hold that up as one of the classics. Yeah, but who is he? Well, there's no documentation regarding who he is. People still argue about whether Shakespeare was really Shakespeare or was somebody else writing using that as their pen name. Who cares? But regarding Jesus, there's tremendous documentation as to who he was and what he did and the result that it had on the world. Okay. But if that young man who denies that he existed repents regarding his what he believes about Jesus and places his trust in Jesus, his sins will be washed away just as surely as yours and mine have been. Okay, the promise is there for him. Right now he's blind. He cannot see, will not listen. Repentance simply means dropping their previous arguments and simply recognizing him as their own Savior. And then, as a newborn believer, they can begin their new life of discipleship. We're going to stop and pray and we're going to share communion together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd open our eyes to the light of your face, the light of your word, and cause us to reflect that light so that we shine out the light of the gospel to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.